Welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast, and it is a special day today because today is the 40th birthday of The Empire Strikes Back. So I am seven years older than um, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, you can all do the math, figure out how old I am. Uh, but as always, joining me is uh, Fredo and Dave. Everybody say hello. Hello. Hi. And uh, hope everybody's had a good week. We're going to dispense with the pleasantries. Uh, uh, we're going to dispense with the pleasantries and the, uh, and the trivia and stuff like that because well, we're going to do something special tonight um, since it is the 40th birthday of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, we are going to do a, an annoying running commentary of The Empire Strikes Back. We're all going to watch it and then talk over it, which you know just annoys the crap out of anybody when you're trying to watch... Uh, a Star Wars movie, right, guys? <laughs> Look, you know, everybody loves people who talk in the movie theater, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think some, I think I remember it was Firefly that said that there's a special level of hell reserved for people who do that. So we're going to the special hell. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about, you know, just, I don't know, things that we remember when we saw the movie. You know, we might get off on some tangents, things like that, some trivia, whatever. Um, but uh, if you want to do this along with us, you know, we've all got, we're all using late 90s early 2000 technology we're using dvd players um i'm actually using my portable dvd player um i was going to stream it on disney plus you can stream it on disney plus um but i didn't want to destroy the bandwidth and make this episode even more wonky so um <laughs> but uh, we've all got our dvd players um uh, set to a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and we'll start at the same time so if you want to do this with us um you can cue things up and then rewind the podcast and yeah, you'll figure it out. You're smart people. So, all right, guys, um, we'll, uh, on the count of three, we'll say McClunky and hit play. So one, two, three, McClunky. 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 All right. So, um, yeah, uh, like I remember I was, uh, uh, seven years old when I saw this and I do remember seeing it in, uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. And I remember the lobby had like a Hoth. Um, hey, whoever's got their uh, volume up, you might turn it down so we don't get busted by copyright police. Uh, but um, I remember uh, they had a whole Hoth scene in the uh, in the lobby, and I was wondering, you know, what that was all about. So, um. yeah, actually, I was gonna say this is actually the first movie that I remember seeing ever. I saw it at uh, age five which, you know, I was only three when this came out, but uh, I didn't get to see it until a couple of years after it premiered uh, in Nicaragua for a number of um, social, political, revolutionary-based reasons. Let's just leave it at that. I remember when the movie theaters say, okay, we're finally going to bring it out. Here comes, you know, the next Star Wars movie, The Empire Strikes Back. And uh, my parents had said, look, told me and my brother, you guys behave well. We'll take you. We'll take you to go see it with us. So all day long, we, I was at, our, at my aunt's, behaving well, behaving well. And then my brother, last minute, decided to act, and they left him behind. And five years old, I remember going to the theater to go see this and had no idea what I was, what I was walking into. Hey, by the way, and I'm sorry, before we get Dave's, uh, what he remembers, uh, in the crawl, it said Darth Vader is obsessed with finding young Skywalker. But you know, now they've kind of. It, it seems like fast forward to that scene where 
the emperor in here talking. Do you think Vader knew before the emperor figures it out? Very much so. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's something that go back and quote unquote fixed in the in this latest version that's streaming on Disney Plus, or you can buy on uh, the last uh, DVD when they made the correction. Just because, yeah, it's it's interesting. And now we'll come up to a moment where Vader says, you know, when he says the rebels are there, that he says, and I'm sure Skywalker's there with them. So. Yeah, that's true. Jersey. There you go. Okay. So, yes, all right. Well, we won't, get, we won't get too far ahead of our skis there. I just saw that in the crawl. I never really mm -hmm. kind of thought about that. But, Dave, uh, what do you remember about seeing The Empire Strikes Back? Oh, very little. Um, I was I, so young. I don't remember anything. <laughs> well, I was three. Um, so, at that point, it was kind of a... I don't even remember if I saw this one in the theater, to be honest. But um, what I do remember vividly uh, were the toys. Um, I got a Hoth battle set uh, for Christmas. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the following Christmas or two Christmases later or whatever. But, um, yeah, that made an impression. It came with some snow troopers and all that. And... Uh, I ended up with a Wampa eventually too, and and so for me, uh, Empire Strikes Back uh, was where we went into kind of toy overdrive. We didn't have very many toys <laughs> before that point, uh, but then they just they were then they were everywhere, uh, and we got a lot of them. Yeah. You know, I said it before on this podcast that this uh, kind of has the slowest beginning. Of all of them, and I, I would, I guess, I would think as much as I think all of us like Empire seems to be at the top of most people's lists. I think it would not be the one that I would have people watch first if they've never no. seen any Star Wars because it's just kind of slow moving. You have to, you know, every other Star Wars movie is like off to the races from the get go, and this is, uh, yeah, Luke gets hit by a Wampa, but uh, you know. Other than that, we got a lot of exposition. We just got a lot of hanging around. So, mm -hmm. I think part of it is, and it's it's interesting because, understandably, when it comes out in 1980, it's a continuation, and it, it's the first sequel to Star Wars. Does it's the first movie, and it's not a direct sequel. I mean, it's not a sequel in the way of okay, we're just going to give you the same movie again. It does this thing that future movies do, which is expand. It expands the universe. You know. The sets get bigger, the creatures get bigger, the action sequences get bigger from everything that we saw in A New Hope. But yeah, this is a movie that expects that you have seen A New Hope before you walk in on the theater. Yeah, and I like, by the way, you know, we just saw Han coming in and he's, mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's talking to Chewie on top of the, the Falcon. I like how in this movie they, they, gave, they start giving Chewbacca more of a personality. And then mm -hmm. they, then it seems like in Jedi, maybe they kind of lost that personality a little bit. But. Yeah. By the way, we're about to come up to one of the goofiest lines ever said in a Star Wars movie. A death mark's not an easy thing to live with. <laughs> I, like I like it okay. <laughs> I just, it's just like, well, of course it isn't. Of course not. <laughs> oh, man. It's like a dad joke, right? It is. It is. That guy's like trying to be the dad. Oh, poor dude. Yeah, you know, look, 
look, they got they got all this ice. <laughs> yeah, you know, I and I do like how they continued the you know Princess Leia Han. So I mean, they were at each other's throat in A New Hope, and they're still agitated with each other. It's, it's you know I've said it before. It's African Queen, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's Hepburn and uh, and Bogart. You know, so it's. But again, it's, you know, for an action movie, it's not really action filled to start off with. No, we've, we've That's some ice. <laughs> right, yeah. There you go. Excuse no, we've me. Had... <laughs> no, Sorry. We've had... Go ahead, Fredo. <laughs> no, 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 I was going to say, no. Yeah, we've had one beat with any kind of tension, which is when uh, Luke gets jumped by the Wampa, and then that's it. Everything's just been, okay, here's the characters we remember coming back along. Which, by the way, the the Wampa attack happened because Mark Hamill was in a car accident, and they had to explain the scarring that he had somehow. So he they got him beat to hell by a Wampa. So, well, which which, if I recall, I mean, I don't. I mean, was that big of a deal? I mean, I know that there's always been conspiracy theories about Mark trying to get out of his contract uh, with uh, Lucasfilm or I guess 20th Century Fox. Because uh, he had something else he wanted to do, or he wanted to re um, get more money. Because I think of the three, only Harrison was the only one who had signed a one picture deal. He didn't sign anything else. And then when it was time to do the sequels, it's like, okay, you're gonna have to pay me more now because th- these are now the biggest movies of all time. So, uh, but it's interesting because I never ever consider scars or anything like that. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying, Aaron, about how this is very slow to start. Um, it's actually interesting because this movie is an obvious uh, attempt to up the ante uh, upon Star Wars. And you can just see it through so many scenes. Um, the cast is bigger. Um, there, there's just a lot to point to that, that says, I mean, they go to freaking North, like it wasn't hard enough to shoot in the desert. Let's find something harder to do. Let's go to the freaking Arctic and shoot our movie there. Um, I mean, it was just very obvious that they were trying to push boundaries and make it bigger, um, and better than, than the previous movie. And, I wrote an article about that on my blog, so I'll, I'll pimp that right now, and I may include that in our links this week. Um, By the way, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, real quick, just because we see the Wampa crouch down and eating. Uh, mm-hmm. Special edition, did we need to, to see that, or were you okay in the original? And, and by the way, before you answer that question, I do have to say something here real quick. A little bit of trivia. Um, this shot coming up of Luke grabbing the lightsaber Sorry to ruin the magic for everybody, but um, apparently the way they got that to happen was he threw the lightsaber into the snow and then they just ran the reel backwards. Hmm. So it's kind of like the uh, the Tuscan Raider who's standing over Luke and he has to, he's waving his gaffy stick a bunch of times. Um, they just kept rolling the film back and forth. But, but anyway, getting back to it, did, did we need to see more Wampa or were we okay? Did we understand... I guess I will say that I was okay with the original one. It was very much like Hitchcock where you know something, the monster is there somewhere. I didn't need to be kept reminded of it. So, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, it was fine as it was because the whole idea is, you know, he's been attacked. 
from the bones and the noises and the, and the little flashes you see, you see you're okay with accepting that he's been captured by some sort of creature. Uh, you don't necessarily need to know what it looks like or that it's eating. Um, it's interesting looking back at a book because the Wampas were supposed to be more actively involved in the movie. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that to be, in a little bit here. Yeah, Right, right, right. So without getting too far ahead of us. But it's interesting that ultimately uh, they went back and redid that shot when they did put all those other scenes in. Because I would have been like, okay, you're, do, you're giving us more, but you're also... I guess the, fig, the reason they figured they could get away with not doing more than they did is because it wasn't necessary because it's only going to be for a moment. By the way, Han Solo made the uh, winter coat hoodie uh, fashionable. <laughs> Dave, I'm sorry I interrupted you about your blog. Oh, but uh, well, I'll answer your question first. Uh, I think it's fine because it's seamless. Let's look, a lot of these scenes that, that they added are are just they almost look dated now <laughs> some mm-hmm. of the cgi and stuff just looks bad um this this one holds up pretty well for me so it it, it works pretty well it wasn't necessary but i like it and this um, whole scene here with luke stumbling through the snow was the crew was in the hotel shooting out the door because there was a big snowstorm and they just had mark hamill out there and it's like all right just fall sometimes and just stumble around so anyway <laughs> keep going that's funny <laughs> yeah no it's a great story i love that one too um i'm sorry i'll just say here they said they were filming in norway and a fierce snowstorm hit the hotel um they said this would have normally halted filming but Irvin kirshner thought these weather conditions were excellent opportunity to film the scene everybody was probably ticked off they didn't get the day off and luke wanders through the snow after escaping the wampa he did this by sending mark hamill out into the cold and the cameraman stayed and you know filmed from inside the hotel's front hall <laughs> so i'm pretty sure the crew was happy with it now i was just gonna say right quick i love those little shots of the tauntaun uh, with han it just reminds me of Harry House and stuff. You know, the little models just brought to life. Did you ever think Tauntauns were lizards? No. I didn't either. They're, but everybody like keeps calling them snow lizards. They I don't know. They just look like little furry dinosaur things. I, I, well, I guess what? I guess they're snow lizards. I, guess, but, yeah. uh, I don't know. Dinosaurs are birds. Come on. Yeah. And, and by the way, I will say, you know, Ryan Johnson is obviously a um, Empire Strikes Back fan because he's the only one of the sequel trilogy who knew how to write for C-3PO. Mm-hmm. Because they made C-3PO awesome in this movie. So It's interesting. I mean, they obviously recognized that time has passed because there was very little between Han and C-3PO. And here, this movie, we get a ton of them going at one another. By the way, was, was uh, Alec Guinness actually out in the snow to film this, or can't imagine they did that. I would, if he's a force ghost, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let me go back to my point, which was mm-hmm. um, like this is a very obviously this movie was built to be bigger, right? And that was the whole point of it. And it's just ironic that it starts so small with these character moments. And it, there's no real action other than some of this stuff with Luke and the Wampa. Um, by the way, this is one of my all-time favorite moments um, with Han here rescuing him. And uh, 
slicing open the taunt. Which, which brought the, the most disturbing toy probably ever made, and that's the Tauntaun with the slit belly that you can put Luke Skywalker in and save him. But, <laughs> but even more so, I like, I, I remember just being like kind of astonished a little bit and like really amused by Han Solo with a lightsaber. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of jarring to see. But He's then, like going, what the hell is this thing? You know. <laughs> but then, it, you know, like he puts the perfect exclamation point on it with the crack at the end, the joke. You know, like he's still not some buttoned-up Jedi. He's still Han Solo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking is that it kind of kind of dawned on me as we we're talking about the slow start, but outside of this opening of uh, these opening scenes on Hoff, we don't get to see Han and Luke again. And uh, for the rest of the movie, and that's, right. that's that's an interesting choice that they made. That you know, because the whole core of uh, Honey Hope was Han and Luke and Leia, and, and everybody they, got everybody got mad in the Last Jedi. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be defending the Last Jedi here, Dave. Everybody got mad in the Last Jedi because every, all the heroes were split up, and it's like that's what happened in Empire. Right. Yep. They they consciously made the choice to send Luke away to split them up, and they will not see them again together till. What is it, 30, 35 minutes in on Return of the Jedi? It's a smart storytelling technique because they did the same thing in Attack of the Clones, which is like your second act, essentially. Um, We're going to put these people in mortal danger and we're going to put them through the ringer. And the best way to do that is to split them up. Right. Um, Like, Aaron, you're watching the Avengers movies now and you talked about how, oh, man, why are they all so mad at each other? (laughs) <laughs> it's like, well, that's the only way you can create actual tension and drama uh, that they may not win. Um, because, like, okay, well, if they're together, they're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. By the way, they did say, uh, you know, one of the biggest people couldn't believe that they were going to film in snow because they said that is just impossible. You can never get the lighting right and everything. But I think what ends up being a whole lot of this is a bunch of matte paintings by. Uh, ILM and Ralph McQuarrie. But mm-hmm. well, I was just thinking as we're seeing Hobby coming along to rescue Han and Luke. I was just Sorry, thinking, that's that's Zev. But anyway, go ahead. No, no, but I was yeah, and I was just thinking back to uh to uh, Rebels, the episode where he and Wedge defect. Oh, but it was thinking, uh, it's, it's not Hobby. Sorry to get nerdy on you. It isn't. No, I it's mean, Zev. It's Zev. Hobby is later. Hobby is, huh. um, yeah, he's another pilot. I so. thought that's. I thought that was the name they gave him in Rebels. Pop. So I, I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. You know, push you down here. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's quite all right. That's quite all right. I, we've got. We've got to talk about the elephant in the room here coming up, though. If I'm sorry, if Kid they knew that, yeah, if they knew that Han and Leia were brother and sister, I can handle a little peck before they swing across the the chasm, but. You know the fierce makeout session that's coming up here, um, but however, I like the I, the the tension between Han and Leia here is awesome. Laugh it up, fuzzball is one of the best lines, you know. But to to get some tongue action with your sister, eh, I don't know. Who's scruffy looking? <laughs> now I was I always find it funny because it, it's clear the idea the intent is that. Han is the only person who can kind of get underneath Leia's uh, armor, and likewise, Leia's the only one who can get underneath Han's armor. 
which is kind of an interesting dynamic that the two of them have. And Luke's just kind of stuck in the middle. But, of but that reaction of C-3PO was awesome there. Yeah, and, and, and Luke's <laughs> like, oh, well, I got to make out with my sister, even though I don't know that yet. But you know who probably does know who's in the room is R2-D2. Yes, and he never says anything. <laughs> it hadn't really occurred to me that R2's like sitting right there and he knows. <laughs> should I say something? He's probably thinking, should I say something? I say no, something? he's just, yeah, he's drinking some whiskey going, you guys go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds it like it would awesome. be a good robot chicken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, uh, but I mean, like, God, you know, right? It's just, you can't, you can't, uh, Hindsight's twenty twenty, but you just can't have done that. And you know what's hilarious to me? Out of all of the changes that he has made to these movies, he has never taken that kiss out. Yeah, it's surprising because it would, it would thought. destroy that scene, though. It would destroy that scene. Really, it would just it would if you took it out, then it would make it really awkward. It wouldn't, you know. It's understandable. It, the, the, the elephant the problem is is that they're brother and sister you know now yeah they don't know it but you know still um, but uh, oh snow covered chewy is still the cutest chewy you know what would have been a better payoff would have been her kissing the wookie given her line from earlier on in the movie uh, uh, I won't insert your bestiality joke here. Interspecies <laughs> uh, <laughs> erotica. That's right. All right. So now we get the first. We're, none of us are listening to the sound, but you get the first uh, hit of the uh, Imperial March, which is was just a great ad. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, Darth Vader's theme. You know, but he, they they use it loosely as the Imperials March, but. Uh, um, Debut of the Super Star Destroyer. I mean, this is a very this is the moment where the movie begins to say, "I'm going to be bigger and badder than mm -hmm. the first movie." Yeah, yeah. The size of the Star Destroyer at the opening of the first one blew your mind. Yeah, watch this. And then, like you said, with the Imperial March, the debut of that just mind blowing music. Um, I mean, it really does kind of serve his character. They make him like bigger than life. I mean, he already was, but Vader is is so on point in this movie mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to the point, and it's it's kind of a misdirect. I'm I'm sure they were probably trying to uh, do that. Well, they, and Kirshner did such a good job of directing the all the extras, all those you know pilots and everything down in the in the trenches there. To look like okay, Vader's walking by. Oh, oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! You know. Mm -hmm. um, so there's all those little things in the background in this scene that's really good, and I like the you know, Ozel's tick that Piet you know showed him up. You know, it's um, which I never understood. Why would he be mad that the other one found the rebels? It just made him look bad. Oh well, that's because you know. he started arguing. He's he's like arguing against the the evidence. Without even discussing, hey, okay, maybe we'll send somebody out to check it out and we'll go from there. I don't know. It's, it does seem weird. Like, but then again, that's part of the bureaucracy of the Empire. It's, it's a lot of middle management. They exist to just, you know, be around. So, anyway. So, so what? We're uh, almost a half hour in. 
How far how far in are we right now? Hold on, uh, I'll tell. We are about 22 minutes in. 22 minutes in, and we're still the, the biggest action we've had is blowing up a uh, probe droid and the Wampa. I'm just saying, I'm not, it's not a big criticism. I'm just saying, uh, folks, if you're going to want to introduce somebody to your favorite movie genre, you know, or movie, you know, franchise, don't start with the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, because people are going to be, you're, you're almost a half hour in, not a lot's happened. You know, no, I, if you've, if you've seen the first one, then you're, you're in like Flynn, you're good. But if you've never seen any of them, yeah, it's, it's tough. Just imagine, I mean, if this has been, this has been released last December or two years ago, people would not have been like, well, why is this well, so slow? You know, but it's, it's like books that I've read where I've gotten, you know, you know, three or four chapters in, I'm like, if this doesn't start going someplace, I'm putting this thing up. You, know? it, it, you said that it reminds me of the Fellowship of the Ring, which starts that way. Yeah. It starts slow. It's it starts with a with a birthday party, and then it's like, you know, you got to get past the first 150 pages before any of the action actually starts. And here's another Indiana Jones actor. We have uh, um, General General Veers. Uh, yeah, he's a uh, Donovan in The Last Crusade. And, uh, I, you know, I always liked Vader in his uh, chamber here. I don't know why. It just, it seems, I don't know, Vader sitting. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of just meditating. <laughs> and he's in a Zoom meeting now. and <laughs> Which we force, can all relate to. <laughs> for, force choke from home. That's the, that's the, uh, the new. He is keeping social, proper social distancing here. As he forced jokes, uh, Admiral also. You know, Man, this was I'm a, an idiot. I love the technician behind him going like, he stares into the camera and goes, nope, I'm not involved in this. <laughs> yep, I didn't see anything. You know, but the thing is, is that we saw Vader choke uh, somebody in the first movie, but this one was like, you know, we didn't we didn't see him kill somebody with his, you know what I mean? He yeah, didn't do the pinch. So, oh, and this is the worst line ever. Two stars fighters against a star destroyer. It's like Hick from Nebraska. There, you know, that's just bad acting. Sorry. I, but but you know what I love about this scene is that it reinforces the idea of what they do best. You know, like Han is thinking on his feet. Leia is the commanding officer. She's the leader. Which, when you go forward to uh, think about uh, the sequel trilogy, it makes perfect sense that 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 she would be running the resistance. She's already done know, it once. By the way, I got I got to give a, a hat tip to Family Guy when they when they did this whole you know spoof on it and Leia's speech to them was, all right, we're going we have literally infinite paths that we can take to leave this planet, but we're going to fly directly towards the star destroyers. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, the Doofus pilot. Um... You know, voicing his objections is a sort of a precursor to Poe uh, leading his little uh, revolt in Last Jedi. Um, it's just, it, it feels very uh, realistic that a hotshot pilot would be kind of like, oh, what do you know, lady? Well, you know, I also understand. I mean, it's like they're... They, they know that they don't have the upper hand in any sort of way at all. And they're like, seriously, we're, again, like I just said, we're flying towards the Star Destroyer. So, and then, of course, you got to know that Dak's going to die here. You know? Or Dak Prescott. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did you see that Dak Prescott turned down a five year contract with the Cowboys today? 
because was, he wants $45 million in his last year. That means somebody don't want to be in Dallas anymore. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and we may be dating ourselves there here, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting reading that because I'm like, okay, well, who else are they going to get? So somebody's going to get that money. So anyway. By the way, so during this whole thing, um, the Battle of Hoth, the Echo Base troopers were actually Norwegian mountain rescue skiers. And in exchange for participation in this movie, Lucasfilm made a donation to the Norwegian Red Cross. This comes from IMDb. Nice. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at this, you know, a lot of obviously models and stop motion with the ADATs. I mean, the special effects really do hold up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in this movie, they're better than the previous film. And you don't have like just floating TIE fighters going about 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's a sense of speed that wasn't present in the first movie. Um, well, you know what's interesting about that is that, and I'd have to go back and look, but, you know, it, the way it is, when I was writing Marching Band Drill, um, you know, the picture is on the field. The way that you make, your, make it look like your band is moving faster is by having contrary motion. Mm -hmm. So you have like one line moving to the left while you have another line moving to the right. And so you get this sense of speed and get this sense of, of velocity. And so if you see, I mean, the, the snow speeders are never really flying parallel to the, the ADATs. They're kind of whizzing underneath, you know, um, they're coming or, against or, them or going against them while they're coming at them. You know, so it's, it is building that speed. Whereas I think in A New Hope, like I said, you had the Falcon just sitting there and TIE Fighters just sitting there. So, and poor Dak. All right, Dak's dead. So, so uh, uh, Hostels on the Hill has ruined me for this scene. <laughs> All I can think about is, uh, you are like cinnamon. <laughs> and uh, let's just talk, though. Um, whoever designed the AT-ATs were... And by the way, it's AT-ATs, not AT-ATs. So don't come at me. You know, don't even try to come at me on Twitter. It's AT-ATs. Uh, but anyway, um, they, they don't design things very well, do they? It's, it's the benefit. You gotta, always got to remember, it's the Empire. So they have infinite resources that they can get from anywhere. So therefore, it's just a question of who is made happy by building this program. So whoever, somebody, somebody paid off the right people to get his walking tanks as the foundation of the Empire's military. And I get it. I read some places that it was like to, you know, it's a, it's a fear mechanism because it makes mm -hmm. it look like a big beast, but, you know. And it ahead. rumbles, and it rumbles as it gets closer, so that you feel it coming to you, even though you can trip it up with cable wire and boom, there it goes down. And boom. Yeah, yeah, that goes. Yeah, I'm about a second or two behind you guys. Yeah. My, my pause button broke. But anyway, and kerblooey. Um, at the Battle of Hoth, I think this is one. Of, this is a great battle sequence that I don't think the, the franchise has matched. I mean, the space battle in Jedi is cool, and the space battle in Revenge of the Sith is cool, but I don't know. This just this has a real-world you know, war element. It, I don't know. It just, I don't think they've matched it. And by the way, through this whole thing, there are supposed to be wampas, um, you know, 
that invaded the the base and they've captured and locked in a room. Mm -hmm. That was the scene that they cut out, and then uh, later on, as they're escaping, three PO removes the uh, warning sign. Yeah. So, although I was gonna say, so wait, this battle started at about minute, say about thirty minutes in, and actually no, it's because it's only we're only past the thirty minute mark right now. It was about 20, 22, 23 minutes when I right, when we talked right. last. So we've only had about seven minutes of our first battle sequence. So it's not really as long as uh, the Battle of Yavin or Endor or any of the other battles I would see later. But it feels that way. It feels like you're spending a good amount of time here, which is, I guess, part of the reason why it, it, it's so memorable. I, I guess that was one of the, the if I'm going to give any criticisms to uh, episode three. with. Uh, oh, there goes Zeb. Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, no, Hobby. Yeah, Zeb. Now, um, one of the criticisms I gave episode three is they maybe have stuff that with too much good stuff. See, because you had battles at the beginning, and then you had duels, and you had, you know, you had a number of, like two battles, three duels. It's it's a lot. Whereas here, you get the sense of, okay, this battle's important. It's the only battle we're going to get to see. Well, and again, so I get the, the tension that they're building, you know, by going, he could get stomped on. You know, that's a real life, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it just, it just adds so much. Um, and also like the idea that as the walkers are getting closer, again, that that fearsome element that they bring is they're bringing down the base around them. I, I don't know where I would rank it in the pantheon of battles now that we've had, you know, X number of movies. Um, Rogue One is delightful yeah, um, in the air and on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Jedi obviously is really good. Um, it's funny, the that's the place where the sequel trilogy sort of dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked, I liked this stuff a lot at the end of Attack of the Clones. I wish the beginning of Revenge of the Sith had been toned down a little bit, because it just mm -hmm. ended up being kind of hard to follow. Um... But yeah, I mean, like this. This is the action is very easy to follow. You see the tension and understand the tension. Um, the objectives are very clear. Um, it's you know, it's it's a very very effective sequence, and it will always be one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think yeah, same here. And I think it does that very simple but very important thing of making sure that the audience is aware of the stakes at all times. So like, for example, what is the Empire after? Well, they want to destroy the power generators. What is the Rebels' uh, purpose? They want to buy enough time to get themselves off the planet and away from the Empire. So those are the, so those are the things that they're playing towards as we are about to come up to the Empire achieving its primary goal here for the second uh, it's going to become, you know, it's, it's an easy way for us to know, okay, this is what we're doing, and this is what they're wanting to do. Uh, oh, there's, there's the Wampa room right there. Yep, yep. there it is. Um, yeah, and by the way, uh, as we'll get here in a second, first of all, I have to say, um, 
the snow troopers I thought were so cool. I loved the, you know, the, the, you know, I, it looked like a, a cape, you know, but it's, you know, just the, the, uh, crap, what do we call that? I even have one crying out <laughs> loud. But anyway, I just, I just like the look of the snow troopers. Um, uh, but they said in an early outtake, when Darth Vader entered Hoth base, he tripped over a cable and fell down face first. <laughs> I, I would love to see that. But and I love this whole, this whole interaction. There's still, you know, Irvin Kirshner said he needed to have humor without gags. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing with 3PO where they're just almost leaving him behind and doors keep closing on him. That's enough to keep a little lightheartedness to otherwise an awful situation. Mm -hmm. And you got to think too, like little kids are going to be worried about that. Like, I remember that was a that was a thing that a lot of younger folks have said about Phantom Menace, where Jar Jar gets his hand stuck in the pod, and then it, he can't get it out, and they're firing the thing up. Kids were like legitimately concerned about Jar Jar in that moment, uh, and this is kind of doing a really similar thing with C three PO here. You're like, ah, is he gonna? Are they going to leave him behind? Right. It was a duster, by the way, the duster that we wear in, because I have snow trooper armor. Um, but anyway, that's what it's called. Yeah, but I was going to say it actually, Aaron, it's what I, going back to the point I was making earlier about building up, it's you get to see a whole new design of stormtrooper, specifically designed for the snow. Uh, and in Jedi, we would see the scout troopers. Which, Again, I would, which I would argue as we start adding movies, it's like now there becomes this expectation. We can't have the same stormtroopers every time. We got to have a little different stormtrooper. And my point, like Rogue One, it kind of, par pardon me, bothered me that it's like we got to have we got to have something different. So they make these shore troopers. Okay, I get it, but why? You know what I mean? I would not have been upset that we didn't get a new stormtrooper. You know. Um, or we have to have a different TIE fighter that we're never going to see anywhere else ever again. Now, is it feasible that the Empire had different troopers and everything? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's, it seems like it's like, all right, we've got to have a new model of something. Otherwise, people aren't going to buy it. Right. I, th I think you said buy it, you know, literally buying it, merchandising and toys. and uh, Touche. You know. That's, that's where a lot of that comes in. Um, and that was a really critical period for George, too, because, like, this was when he was trying to go it alone. This is the yeah. first time. Because he went, he went through the studio system on the first film, and then he tried to finance this without the studio interference. And he was in a very vulnerable position. Uh, and remind me, Aaron, if I'm wrong, uh, you might know this, didn't Lucasfilm move offices right in the middle of all the pre-production and all the elements that, you know, the starting of the work on Empire? I can't say for sure. You might be right. I, I want to say, I mean, I want to say I actually read a, uh, from a Lucasfilm's book uh, when they opened up their vault and were showing a lot of the old stuff that in there it said, because I actually remember one of the uh, uh, concept artists actually drew uh, this funny thing of all, the, all their staff along with all their props and toys and Three P and R two, and they were just packed up in the back of a of a van, and they're just moving down the street. Okay, I've been uh, I've been saying kind things about the Last Jedi, and I do like the Last Jedi, but I will say here we basically have another slow speed chase 
you know what? Yeah, we got Star Destroyers chasing Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. You know, but this has more urgency and intensity than what we had in the in the last Jedi. And I wish I, I wouldn't have had so much of a problem with that whole slow speed chase, except for it was literally a slow just hobble through space. This, I mean, again, there the, you got TIE fighters zooming all around and the Falcon is maneuvering and blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, there's, it's a roller coaster ride. Whereas the other one is watching the steamroller come at you. <laughs> like yeah. a scene in Austin Powers. Right. Right. <laughs> Where the guy's like, no. And the thing is like a room away from him and just moving mm-hmm. at him. And- you know, and then they, they put him into an asteroid field, you know, and it's like another element to make you go, oh my gosh. It's like, oh no, we got, now I got to go upside down on this roller coaster. Right. Um, They're throwing obstacles at them at all times. It's never static, which I think that's part, that would, that is a problem for the last set. I said, you know, they know that the threat is the they're gonna run out of fuel and the first orders after them. But once once the first order decides, okay, just hang back and the moment they run out of fuel, we'll move in and kill them all. But even the blues a lot bro- of attention. Even the blues brothers only knew they only had what a half a pack of cigarettes and a you know tank oh. of gas. I mean, yeah. but they still made it a little bit more interesting. So I, I don't want to ra- rail on the last shadow, but I'm just saying that you could have done some things to make it a little bit more you know, urgent. Um, we well, missed... It's a credit to this movie. I mean, oh. honestly, it's this is a masterpiece. We just passed reason. one of my favorite things, and that's C-3PO hugging Chewbacca when they realize they're going to be going <laughs> closer to an asteroid. That's just that's just awesome. Sorry, but yeah, you're right. It is a credit to this to this uh, movie. Um, but that's just it. I remember a Burger King. I remember a Burger King commercial that had this scene right here where the falcon flies through the skinny uh you know trench there but anyway yeah. go ahead, 1980 right uh you mean that commercial in 1980 yeah i love the shrug you know by the way you're gonna come up the shrug that leia gives like excuse me ma'am where are we going she's like i don't know and what's interesting it's okay so the empire's still looking out for them uh they're gonna go into the cave and the falcon the has that lights yeah of course hey look it's it's a, it's a Corvette. It's a hot rod. You gotta have headlights. But it's that idea of okay, we're gonna you know slow down things for a moment, but the tension hasn't been released because they're still being chased. All right, I want I, as we coming on here to Dagobah, uh, have both of you read um, a certain point of view that series of short stories? No, I want to though, based All on right. your recommendation. You need to because the story with Yoda. Here's the deal. I'm sorry, to, I'm I'm going to ruin a little bit of it, but Yoda is hanging out on Dagobah, and Ben comes to him. Obi Wan comes to him and says, "Hey, I'm going to need you to train Luke." And Yoda's like, "I don't want to train that one. I wanted to train Leia. She's been. I've been watching her. She's serious. She's you know she knows. You know, she's just a." going to be a better Jedi. Basically, he wanted to train Leia. Hmm. Luke is reckless. Luke is everything that Yoda is saying here. So it totally turns on. You, you think when you see this for the first time that Yoda is just testing Luke and kind of playing with him. But this story adds, I mean, Yoda doesn't want anything to do with, with Luke. And it also makes it, you know, it kind of turns it on its head. Even if, let's, let's take away 
the um, the a certain point of view thing. You know, Yoda has this plan at the end of Revenge of the Sith. You know that we're going to separate the twins. You know, and it may make it seem like you know Obi Wan's going to go look over um, uh, Luke, but we'll send Leia off with you know this with the senator. You know. But Yoda, I, I, it's really interesting that Yoda didn't want anything to do with Luke, and he wanted to train Leia. And that makes me see this whole opening on Dagobah even more. Uh, I think it's just even more powerful. But it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting to think about it because you're right. I mean, when you consider the, the two options, Luke and Leia, Leia is not only the serious one. Leia is the one that's already shown a commitment to uh, being selfless a commitment to helping others, a commitment to uh, a higher calling. And that, a lot of that comes from her upbringing with Bale uh, in Alderaan. So, whereas Luke had been living a very insular life uh, with uh, Owen and Baru on Tatooine, you know, the fact that, you know, he had a normal childhood and whatever, but it's also not, you know, it's a different dynamic. He is much more Anakin than Leia ever is. Yeah, here's the other thing too, and then I'll let, I've been sorry stepping on things. People had a problem with the way, uh, and I understand that we, you know, we have our mental model of what Luke Skywalker is. You know, we were talking about that last week. Um, but we have that mental model from the, the return of the Jedi Luke Skywalker. Let's remember the Luke Skywalker that was in Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope, and it was whiny self-serving and it was kind of petulant it was i mean he's he's not a boy scout i mean he wants to do the right thing but he's very flawed so why is it why is it you know out of the realm of possibilities that this jedi would then you know we all have our weaknesses we all have our sins that you know it's and we all have our demons that at our lowest moments you know and he saw his own nephew turn on him and turn to the dark side it's like you know i'm a i was a teacher for 19 years and you have that one student who fails and you go i'm the worst teacher ever even mm -hmm. though you've taught thousands of other kids I don't know, i'll let you guys talk about that I, I, or whatever you want to talk <laughs> about that's just my oh and no. here we see vader's head so yep. yeah no i was gonna say no that's the one thing i, lo I always maintain is once you establish that the you know the Force Awakens, once you establish the Force Awakens, where it starts, where it begins, you know the dynamics in play. You know the only way it could kind of go is the way it went in the Last Jedi. You know what by which I mean, once you establish that this is Han and Leia's kid who falls to the dark side, destroys the Jedi Academy, you know, you know nearly murders uh, his uncle, and joins the First Order, and they go on a murdering and conquering spree across the galaxy. Okay, well, what, how, how, what would that do to somebody? And the only way it could go is the way it went for Luke. He would blame himself. He would take on all that responsibility on his shoulders, and he'd run to the furthest hill he could possibly go run to. And we're about to get some more romance in about a moment. <laughs> well, there's a reason... That'd be an argument against Leia, right? Right there, because uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you right here. Watch, haunt, watch Harrison Ford's lips when Leia talks. He mouths her words. But anyway, go ahead. Yep, it's 
Oh, oh, Harrison. Doesn't that, doesn't, doesn't that take you out of it? I just ruined Empire Strikes Back for y'all. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Now I can never watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah. Unlikely that's, that'll have to be. I have it like right there that, I mean, your future's not written in stone, but right there, a romantic entanglement, that might be enough reason to make the case for Luke over Leia. Um, and I know that. Um, Ben had to have seen something in Luke to begin with, uh, other than well, he's a boy. Um, no, I, yeah, no, I think it's more on the lines of, you know, when you start thinking of, you know, of that certain point of view idea, of which one of the two would they train? I think in some ways it makes sense for Ben. I mean, Ben was watching over Luke. Ben had no little to no idea what Leo was up to, whereas Yoda kept you know, tabs of the Force on both of them, so... I, you know, it's a different dynamic that we're seeing. Both of them are their pluses and their minuses. I think it just, at this point, it's more along the lines of which one do we know? What choices do we have? It's Lucas here and Leia isn't. Two things. One, uh, this was also the first time when I, and it probably wasn't until I was like in my 30s when I realized, well, duh, yeah, the R2 would need to be charged every now and again. Mm -hmm. um, but two, you know, I think what's really interesting here is that we're we're talking about this movie in the context of all the other things, right? Yep. All the other movies, all the other, you know, TV series, all the books and everything like that. And by the way, I still think um, they did Yoda great here. I thought Yoda was great in The Last Jedi. I was glad that they changed... Um, uh, Phantom Menace Yoda to a digital Yoda because that puppet sucked. Anyway, like, I would agree with that. Um, you know, one thing we jumped and I want to bring up is like we always talk about changes that bother us uh, from the special editions, etc. Um, I don't like that they lost that line from Luke of "You're lucky you don't taste very good." Yeah, yeah. I love that line, and they had to, they ended up taking it out. I guess apparently the audio wasn't as good anymore; it hadn't held up or something. But but they'll put in McClunky. Uh, exactly. <laughs> no, well, no. I mean, actually, I remember when they came out with the special editions. Uh, I forget what's the name of the producers from the from the prequels. Um, Rick McCallum. Uh, yeah, McCallum. He they had an interview with him talking about the special editions because he uh, co-produced that, and he said the degradation of the original print was such to a point that, you know, if they hadn't done it back in 96, 97, they were going to lose it. Like, By the way, you know, sorry, real quick, Yoda and R2 fighting over the lamp is awesome until you think of the series of episodes in uh, the Clone Wars where he and Yoda go on this little mission together. They obviously, he obviously knows who Yoda is. Again, it's just... So I think that's not a criticism of this movie. I think that's more of a criticism of the Clone Wars where they should have said, somebody should have been like, yeah, but then that's not going to make any sense why Yoda's beating R2 with a cane and R2's trying to take something from him. You know, we should have just left R2 out of that whole Clone Wars arc. You know, sorry to I, interrupt you, Fredo. I'm sorry. Well, I had another thought too, if you don't mind. Go ahead, go ahead. Relating, relating to that specifically, because like I've seen people who've watched these movies uh, in order now, um, and I, like I start with 
episode one and go that way. And by the time they get to Empire, they're like, is Yoda senile? Like, what's <laughs> what's going on with him? Uh, and, like, you could, you could postulate that R2 is having a similar reaction in that moment. Like, man, this oh, old man yeah. lost his mind. We, we've all been locked in our house for how long now? We're all kind of like going a little mad. So. <laughs> well, look, because what's interesting is at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Bale makes the point to Captain Antilles to have 3PO's mind wiped. He has, says nothing about R2. Not R2's. Yeah. So R2's supposed to have all these uh, recordings, all this memory, all this stuff that he has from the everything he did in the prequels. You know, and, and the Clone Wars and everything that he went through, and even though he might not be able to speak, you know, in a language they understand, Tripia does. It could always have him translate everything. But I guess they by figured the, that's all right. Nobody's going to question it. By the way, we we were talking about uh, you talking about three PO understanding things. One of the greatest things that the Solo movie did was to make that one line from three PO saying, "I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, but it's got a peculiar." dialect mm -hmm. and the solo movie you know no, now knowing that l3 is the one talking in the falcon and the way mm -hmm. l3 was designed that was that was well thought out just mm -hmm. like you know you know we got to have they couldn't have had you know another c3po as l3 it had to have been somebody who was a little bit more you know um, confrontational and um, gutter, you know, it's a little bit more, you know, like you know, mind in the gutter type of a, you know, person. So, speaking of mind in the gutter, we will get to the romance scene here. And uh, okay, night. Okay, second shout out to uh, John Williams on the score because he creates a new uh, a musical cue for Han and Leia at this point. And it's uh, oh, and then. It's and then the a C three PO comes. Sorry, you're gonna Oh, and Han's reaction. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're about to get our first in universe. Uh, well, not in the universe, but our first uh, you know, introduction to the Emperor properly. Which that was. If we talk about the changes that were made. Changing the emperor um, to Ian McDermott was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It was the right thing to do. I'll uh, say too, like our experience of these movies, it, like sort of dictates how we see them, right? When we're mm -hmm. growing up, we all had Monkey Woman growing up, yes. right? Um, the other thing was like we just saw when you show those imperial officers making their report. Uh, one of them is is like cowering because he's dying. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't see that in the the old VHS and in the old letterbox um, four by three version of the film. You don't see that, and you lose that. And I'm glad to have it back. And there you go, the young rebel who uh, destroyed the Death Star, offspring of Anakin Skywalker. So here's all the, the subtle changes that they made to the script when uh, they put in the McDermott to not have it be, oh, he's the son of... Uh... Yeah, they make a point not to say it's your son, but yeah, yeah. Uh, 
because obviously that would just ruin the whole. I can't believe that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was the, that was the best Simpsons moment. <laughs> I mean, that would have been the biggest middle finger. Mm -hmm. Like spoiling that twist, like in the first, you know, half of the movie. I mean, people would have never forgiven that. Nope. But I love the I can think of robot chickens like you know wow the knees must be hurting right now huh yeah <laughs> you look like a little pepper shaker uh, poor R two left out in the rain I mean peeking in like hey come on I want some soup too but uh, but that was the other thing sequel trilogy. Um, like had no use for R2-D2. All you needed to do was, I mean, really, he didn't do much here, but you can see him peeking through the window there. You know, he didn't have much to do, but he was still there and, and still kind of doing things. Um, by the way, they said uh, here coming up um, that uh, Irvin Kirshner had um, Mark Hamill hit his head, I think it was like 16 times. <laughs> um, yeah, about 16 times until he had one that he liked. <laughs> and uh, he said, when Mark Hamill was having trouble with the Dagobah scenes with Yoda, Frank Oz brought in Miss Piggy to make him laugh. So there you go. So he was acting with her before he made the Muppet Show. Because it's, yeah. it's right after this that he's, that he's in the Muppet Show with, uh, with you know, because he's wearing this very same outfit. Oh wait, hold on, here you go, here comes Ben. And the reveal. I always love the way that he went from the silly, goofy uh, Yoda to the whole so the, serious Jedi Master Yoda. Don't mess with me, Yoda, yeah. Exactly. He's like, yep, that's me. But like, it, it's, I like how his character has those two that duality he wasn't just like playing at being playful and silly because you see him like with the padawans uh in episode two mm -hmm. um you know there are other uh and then of course uh last jedi he's very playful in like blowing up the force tree and everything um i you know i like that part of his personality and, and that it's genuine mm-hmm but then again, it's also it's a nice way to disarm Luke, you know, way to see how he really behaves. That's right. kind of like it's kind of like everybody right now discussing the whole idea of the shopping cart uh, mindset. You know, if you if there's no benefit to you to do something good for somebody else, how would you behave? And you know, we way Yoda's challenging Luke or is testing Luke. How do you behave around somebody who's more of a pain in the neck than a threat? You know, it's not really going to hurt you or at least you don't think it's going to hurt you uh, yeah, I, I come i come back to that short story that i think really helps this scene you know where it's like yoda doesn't he doesn't want to mm -hmm. and i think he's trying to prove to obi-wan that no this isn't the one that we we go with mm -hmm. um and he finally just gives up because it's like well i guess we gotta have to by the way <laughs> bad bad lip reading did this so well don't fall yeah. asleep don't <laughs> fall asleep <laughs> But I do. I always, I always go back like, well, when he goes, I'm not a friend. It's like, oh, you will be. And I'm like, 
the heck are you planning on doing to him? That was kind of freaking me out. It's okay. Oh, yeah, Lammers, it's pretty so ominous cool. music, too. Yeah. Ah, uh, and the Minox. Okay, so <laughs> this is a scene that bothers me in the same way that you can, when you, Aaron, see um, Harrison mouthing the words, when they come up, they go out into the cave, and it looks like they're just, like, standing on a gym mat. <laughs> That's probably what they are. <laughs> it just it irritates me to no end. I'm really not interested in your opinions, 3PO. Um, by the way, for 3PO's line coming up, you know, a little bit later is I, I use it every time like like a roach is flying around or some Louisiana swamp monster. It's like, oh, beastly things. Shoo, shoo. <laughs> ah, feels like Rod Stewart's stomach. Oh. <laughs> I mean, family guy just cracks me up. So this bothers you? Yeah, like back, you see where Chewie's walking back there. It's just like, it looks like a gym mat. <laughs> it is kind of like they're in a laser tag facility or something. Well, I guess part of the part of the thing is they didn't want to, you know, build too much of anything because it would have revealed what it really was. And that's kind of the problem that you run into is that if you develop a bigger set, so to speak, all of a sudden you're like, those walls don't look like walls. They look like something else. And all of a sudden you start going like, oh, they, again, it spoils the reveal before you get to it. So oh, by yeah. The, by the way, I will say this. I, I do have a problem. Leia is like tough in every other element unless some flying creature is buzzing her head. You know, she's like the toughest character in this, probably this entire saga, mm -hmm. but unless a, a bird is flying, you know, fly by her head. You know, I'm if a bird flies by me, I cry like a little little kid. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, but I'm not the toughest person on the planet. She, you know, that that, that just kind of bothered me a little bit. You know? uh, to, to be fair, I mean, how many tough women do you know who live in the New Orleans and Louisiana who, uh, when all the bugs are flying out every springtime, run for running doors? So. Yeah, it's not just women; it's all of us. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I mean. It's you know, but in this case specifically, speaking of Leia, but yeah, all of a sudden you start getting flying roaches and uh, and uh, termite swarms and whatnot. All of a sudden, everybody's going like, "Nope, we're going inside." But again, you know, and again, they're still they're bickering as they're running in, you know, to the, you know, into yeah, the I'm Falcon. But I'm not a committee, you know. Um, Aww. And by the way, this is so clearly a sock puppet, but I have no problem with it being a sock puppet. Again, it's it's only a moment. It's not the it's not meant to be a big thing. It's just the next kind of okay. Let's wrap it up again and get them back out into space, kind of thing. So it does its job, and I think sometimes uh, we all expect every special effect to be massive, a massive thing, and sometimes the best ones are the small ones that only come in a moment and off they go. By the way, if we're complaining about special effects, these are the least affecting, least effective Yoda scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We well, can totally tell it's a puppet. Yeah, yeah, hanging onto his back. Well, you mean the the cutaway, the long distance one, not the uh, close-ups. How long? Right. Okay, so how long do we think uh, Luke was training on Dagobah? Did they say it was like a couple of weeks at most? I mean, because I don't know, because then yeah. that means that Han and Leia are, you know, in the stomach of the 
asteroid monster for you know for a long time as well i'm just saying that's just either either uh it's just weird you know just to kind of put that and i I guess it is one of the Mm. you've got to sometimes just kill the timeline and just say these things happened and don't worry if they happen concurrently or whatnot but i'm just wondering how long he he trained on dagobah I know that people, that's not an official number at this point still. Um, but, like, yeah, I'd go with the interpretation of a few weeks um, or maybe even a couple of months, no longer than that. I know that um, some people have said years, and I just I can't buy that. Um, but you know that more time can elapse um for Han and Leia and and the and company beyond what they show on screen. So. Well, and they could they could have very easily, you know, after that asteroid field, they could have gone someplace else and then got caught up with the Empire again. Yeah, so mm-hmm. who knows? Uh, I yeah, was, and the other thing too is like they may not have been flying at maximum speed at that point when they leave the asteroid field because yeah. because they were had a damaged ship still and all that. So. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the cave scene. Mm-hmm. Could they could they made it a little bit clearer to seven year old Aaron because that was the demographic <laughs> that they were shooting for, but it was all sorts of uh, he's fighting Darth Vader. Oh, what they just chopped off his head and that's Luke and I don't know what just happened here. But you know, I mean, obviously we all get it now. But uh, do they think you think they uh, they shot a little high on this one? No, actually, uh, I think it works fine, uh, Dave. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. To your point, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I think I was I think I was in my teens before I figured this yeah, out. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was, it, it's great. Don't get me wrong; it's great. Yeah. But you know, for when your key demographic is, like I said, you know that. 10 year old kid it's like hmm <laughs> i think i had to explain it like like very clearly to my kids like what like why is his face there um like that was a question they came up and so i was like well it's a vision they're showing him what will happen if you know he gives it the dark side yeah we but, all we all have the dark side within us you right know? And then, so, I mean, like, obviously, we all understand that point, and it's an it's very effective. But, like you said, if your key demographic is six year olds, it's it's going to go over their head. But that's okay. These movies aren't strictly for kids; they're mostly for kids. But, but you know, what? yeah, I guess what I'll say is that uh, that idea. I mean. Yes, it's far more esoteric than I think some of the other elements are. But what I think I like about it is that it's it's introducing that that dark element that A New Hope really didn't have. It's because A New Hope is very clean, good guys are good, bad guys are bad, and this is the first time we get an introduction of doubt into that that idea that bad can come from good and good can come from you know it can be in bad places, you know that kind of thing. So. And also that concept of Luke not recognizing what's inside of him, that ability to turn to the dark side. But at the same time, it's foreshadowing of Vader is your father. Yeah, it's, right, it's right. Yeah, the reveal. 
which Yoda oh, obviously go. knows. Yeah, so we're back. It's Bosk. No, no it's my favorite line is. <laughs> my favorite line. We don't need those scum. scum. Yes, yes, sir. sir. <laughs> just, just dismissing him. And there comes. Here comes your boy. Yes. <laughs> did you? By the way, did you read that? Apparently, Dengar was in the Rise of Skywalker. No, where? Google it quick. Go oh. ahead. We got time. Google it. Um, it's uh, he was in the Rise of Skywalker. He like has spent time like he's he's more android now, and he's uh, uh, he'd been trying to keep himself alive. But yeah, just and they kind of changed his oh, yeah. name a little bit. Yeah, Dengar. In the that, dictionary, that's, that's yeah. the one they decide to put in the Rise of Skywalker. Dengar. Yeah. Anyway, not false. I do remember. I will say this: uh, Boba Fett. I know it, 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 we we kind of snarl and kind of make fun of everything. That was the that was the coolest looking thing that you have probably seen as a seven year old kid. And he, I mean, just he just looked cool. Um, he sounded cool. Um, I remember that action figure was awesome when I was able to get it. Um, all the bounty hunters kind of look cool, but I mean, but Boba Fett was, that's just a good design. That's just a good design. And, and you, everybody had him introduced back in the Christmas special. So you yeah, I, but, yeah, but I didn't remember that. I mean, I remember watching the Christmas special, but kind of, I mean, when it went to stuff that, you know, I, I don't know, but um, really this was the first time that you, it, it just, like I said, looked really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing about Empire Strikes Back, I remember this was the first, I remember when we were on the playground um, in elementary school at recess. I mean, my friends and I, we would like, quote unquote, play Empire Strikes Back. We would reenact, you know, different scenes and everything. You know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, so it was that first movie that really, you know, kind of made me run around the yard and want to, you know, mm -hmm. be a Jedi, be Han Solo, whatever, you know. Did you have the lunchbox? I'm sure I did. Yeah. Yeah, I remember as a kid having the Empire yeah. Strikes Back metal lunchbox with the plastic I, thermos. I remember my dad had. We destroyed how many of his, you know, golf club tubes. You know that you got these tubes that you, you know, so your golf clubs wouldn't get tangled up with one another. We'd just take those and make those into lightsabers all the time. You could beat the hell out of each other. Um, but. Uh, you know, to the Boba Fett, though, didn't his toy come out prior to this movie? I believe so. I mean, mm. like, they were using him in the marketing. Like, to Fredo's point, That's I know. You're right. You could, you could pre order him. It was a new character from the upcoming movie. Yep. Yeah. You're right. And, and the, you know, you had the holiday specialties, obviously. Uh, and then that was part of the marketing, was this new important character. He was the Sith Trooper of his day. By the way, best best <laughs> line that any teacher could have ever gotten is do awesome. or do not, there is no try. Um, what does but, that uh, mean? <laughs> I don't know. It sounded better when Yoda said it. And, you know, it's a, it's, you know, it, and I understand the, the wordsmithing that people put behind it. And it is kind of funny. It's like, how, do I, how can I do something if I don't try to do it? But it's about commitment. You know, mm -hmm. it's about, if you're, it's about, 
being in the moment. And if you say you're going to do something, then do it or don't. Don't be namby-pamby about it. And that's what Luke was being. Luke wanted Luke wanted the title of being Jedi and wanted the lightsaber really at this point. He had, you know, he had no commitment. So but that was another thing as a, as a seven-year-old, you don't really understand. Um, no. and, and there's a reason that like for a lot of us, Empire Strikes Back wasn't our favorite movie when we were kids. It was because of a lot this section of the movie. Because um, it's all slow. Yeah. And, you know, as you get older, you come to appreciate these scenes so much more. And they and they become some of the best scenes in, in the entire saga. Um, but obviously, yeah. I mean, but the scene in the cave, Yoda's advice, um, Luke training. Now, Yoda just, talking about the force now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's bigger than, again, seven-year-old Aaron's brain could, you know, capture because you know i remember i was going to i was going to ccd and trying to figure out what how how god you know played into everything and how it, and it made not a lot of sense you know you just bought what the nuns were giving you and here yoda's doing the same thing you know he's mm -hmm. talking about how you know luminous beings are we not this crude matter that didn't hit me until i was in my you know teens or 20s you know mm -hmm. that's that's a powerful statement yeah, it's that idea. I mean, it's and it's interesting because outside of the initial speech that Alec uh, that Ben gives you, and then you hope when he's introducing the whole concept of the Jedi, and this moment right here, that's the extent of what of a description of what the Force is. You don't get more than that. It's you know. So so when uh, Ray in Last Jedi goes, it's something. It's a power that the, that the Jedi have that helps them move stuff, move rocks. It makes sense why she would believe such a things because you know, nobody can quite, you know, nobody else has uh, come along to describe it or teach it better, you know, in that interim. Um, and Luke didn't really get more, much more than that. But Dave, you're right. This is, this, is a, this is a better movie for the, the middle school to high school, you know, kid, you know, mm -hmm. that's trying to find their place in the world. You know, um. plus at that point, I think you're more into like dark stuff and whatnot. You're yeah. you're more you're more in tune with the uh, the emotional ups and downs of life. Well, let's let's talk about that. When you say that the you know dark stuff, the first half, the first 30, 40 minutes of this movie is all white and bright, and mm -hmm. and the next we're now what and over an hour and some in, mm -hmm. and it has been nothing but dark. Mm -hmm. Just, not, even, I'm not. I'm not talking from a tone standpoint. I'm just talking right. from. It's the lights haven't been on. We've been in space or an asteroid or a slug gullet or a swamp. It's like everything is. It's just heavy and dark. It's brilliant, yeah. though. It's brilliant filmmaking because, like you said, it's it it does. It's not. You're not speaking to the story beats, but the story beats match mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Um, we go from a bright environment and uh, our characters being in a good place to being in a very dark place. Because, uh, yeah, you're right. yeah, another, another, another best line coming up here. Apology accepted, Captain Nita. But anyway, go ahead, Fredo. <laughs> that, that's what I was going to say. So I was going to mention in this scene, there's all this lighting around them, but it's shot rather dark. Because there's a focus on Captain Nita as he falls to his death and, you know, 
even though you're in a well-lit environment, it's all grays and blacks. Even the walls are a darker shade of blue. So there's not a lot. I mean, and we're, when we come up to Cloud City, it's bright and it's sunny and it's got white walls, but it's going to juxtapose the darkness that's underneath it. You know, we're not going to get back to that bright, sunny, uh, bright place of that we were in half at the beginning of the movie. It's it's an incredible stylistic choice, and it's genius because you see the bright on the surface, like you're saying, which makes you believe, oh, safe. okay, we're safe. We're coming out of this now. It's going to be okay. And no, it, we're way, not at all. By the way, I wish Dave Filoni in the Clone Wars at some point would have had an Anakin captain piet moment to why that would explain why vader was so forgiving of captain admiral piet <laughs> because he says don't fail me again but he fails him again but captain piet survived through return of the jedi so i would have, I, would have, I think that would have been a cute little interaction like maybe Maybe Captain Piet saved, you know, Anakin's life in a battle or a skirmish somewhere. And so, I don't know. Would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, partic particularly because you do get those introductions to those other major characters in Clone Wars, like Tarkin and, uh, uh, you know, that, that later on go on to have a bigger and stronger presence in the, not only in the movies, but in Rebels. By the way, this is the, the first time that uh, Leia and Han are like guard down and there's really no tension. They're just at ease with each other. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. They're both talking about Lando and you know how he goes way back to them, but it's not, you know, there's not a confrontation here for the two of them. But then she even, she even applauds him. You know, gives him credit for, hey, you got a good idea. And uh, which okay, have they ever explained how how did Boba Fett know to put his the slave one in with the with the garbage? Oh, you know that the joke, or I mean, at least the theory is that he saw it done in Attack of the Clones hmm. because um, Obi Wan pulls that maneuver to survive the in the asteroids yeah yeah to survive the blast he hides on an asteroid and, right and and so that's the theory that boba saw that then and they just said okay take my ship and me and put me in the trash no just the idea of let oh. me hide turn oh. my ship off to escape detection until the danger passes then um, oh, because they wouldn't have, I mean, Han and Han and Chewie and Leia wouldn't have been looking for another ship, or they wouldn't mm -hmm. have probably thought, even if there was a just ship floating around, they wouldn't have thought anything of it. Um, right. So, I mean, Boba Fett had the upper hand there. Yeah. You were asking, like, how Boba thought of that they were doing that, right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was one of the theories that went around. After that movie came out, like ah, that explains that. Yeah, I guess it makes sense, particularly when you consider you know it's already lived through it once. Yeah, so, so that's how you know to look for it again, right? You've seen mm -hmm. it before. You're like, oh, I know what they're gonna do. Mm -hmm. 
And then here we get some more of the uh, uh, Yoda teaching Jedi to let go of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and if you if you honor what they fight for, yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's that's okay, come up it's okay yeah. for them to die. It's like you know yeah. that is it's heady stuff. Yeah. But it's also very selfish because he's not, on one hand, yes, he's teaching him to be a Jedi. But on the other hand, it's like, crap, if this guy leaves, then we're all screwed. So he's, you know, he's manipulating Luke. There's a lot right. of manipulation, not necessarily teaching, but there's a lot of manipulation that's going on. Even then when, after we get past the, when we come back to Dagobah and he's leaving and Ben is, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot of manipulation that goes on. Yeah, well, uh, they, they're trying to convince him to stay and finish his training. And what's interesting is... But not the, for his own good or not right. even... It's but to serve their purpose. Right, he, right. He's a tool. You know, it's very much Dumbledore using Harry Potter to, you know, get rid of... I mean, even though... So George Lucas came up with the idea first. But, you know, it's just... They're using... He's being used as a tool. You know, it's not, you know... No, it's just kind of... Yeah, he does... Yeah, he's not. He doesn't have. A, I mean, he has free will in as much as they're willing to give him information, which I guess is part of part of the point. Is that you know, as the teachers, they're supposed to be understanding of what he's going through and kind of recognize. Okay, are you ready for for this bit of data? Or are you ready for your next lesson? But at the same time, they're not helping him buy in. They just no. You got to do this. So how'd you feel about the uh, special edition uh, makeover for uh, Cloud City? It, it it has aged a little bit, but um, I was mostly okay with it at the time. I was. Can I be honest? I wasn't just because I always loved the aesthetic of Cloud City, all those white walls that kind of enclose the space. Again, that idea of really beautiful kind of sort of architectural design of it, uh, but at the same time, a place that's hiding danger and evil. But I don't know. I guess I just grew up with the original version of Cloud City for so long that, I, you know, the first time I saw it, they'd taken out the walls. I'm like, well, they're in the clouds. What happens if somebody falls, you know, out of a window? Well, you know, the, the bigger thing is that I just think that it seemed like it was a rush design. It, it seems mm -hmm. very, the map paintings seem very, 2D. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they went back and fixed it from what we good. first saw. Seems very flat. Yeah, they were, You know, I, I know that they look even they look better now. Back then, you know, when we first saw them in '97, it looked way worse. Another another nice little thing that Solo, the movie, did was you know this interaction between Han and Lando here, where it look thinks he's going to hit him. That you know they turn mm -hmm. that on its head with looks like Han's going to hit Lando. Yeah, it's just. It's just nice. Uh, the people who made Solo really, and of course it was Kasdan, so, you know, it was, they did a good job. Mm -hmm. What did you guys think, like, uh, of Lando's betrayal when you were younger? Because for me, I was always more willing to forgive Han Solo not helping at the end of A New Hope than I was Lando betraying them in this movie. And as I've grown older, I've begun to think, did I have that backwards? Because like Lando's really between a 
rock and a hard place. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I, I, I don't remember having a, oh my goodness, he, you know, he's a bad guy. Well, I, I didn't think he was a good guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Of course, they, they sell him from the very beginning as being kind of, you know, kind of slick. So, you know, you're never, you're never quite sure. Um, you know, he's, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I was actually I was going to say that, you know. Lando, I mean, it's always interesting that characters that are kind of related to Han have always struck me as coming from another more modern universe than everybody else. Because Lando looks and sounds and feels like someone who just stepped out of a 1979 street into the Star Wars universe. Like he's far more modern than, uh, than say, somebody like Luke or Chewbacca or somebody like that. But much, you know, his, he's, he's very much on a vein like Lando. Fast-talking, capable of swindling people around and you know, getting them to buy into whatever they want to do. So I guess there's betrayal. It was always, I mean... I kind of understood where he was coming from, but at the same time, of course, you know, at that moment, you don't care. You're just like, I can't believe you betrayed him. That moment of C-3PO, by the way, of, that oh. just had heard of him getting blown to bits, um, that kind of ties in with what we were talking about earlier in the movie where C-3PO is lagging behind, and as a small child, you probably would care more about that character, and mm. now they just blow him up. <laughs> it's like... Oh my gosh, is he dead? What's going on? So, by the way, this is an interesting little tidbit that, again, it's on IMDb, their trivia. Um, it says, I'll just read from it. it. says, Lee Brackett's first draft of the screenplay contained the revelation of Luke's sister, her existence disclosed by the ghost of Anakin Skywalker. Referred mm. to as Nelith Skywalker, Anakin explains that it was he, not Obi-Wan, who separated the twins at birth to protect them from Darth Vader, and that Nelith also underwent Jedi training in another part of the galaxy so she could join forces with Luke to defeat the Sith. This concept was dropped in the second draft of the screenplay, along with the appearance of Anakin Skywalker, and replaced with the scene of Obi-Wan and Yoda discussing how they must find another Jedi apprentice in anticipation of Luke's failure. Uh, this too changed in later drafts, resulting in the, mere, uh, the more ambiguous scene in the final version where Yoda assures Obi-Wan that, quote, there is another. It's interesting. So as far back as the first draft, they had an idea of a sister for Luke. Yeah. Even if they, that, who that sister was and how she and Luke came to be separated shifted uh, per the needs of you know, of what they were writing later on. It's an interesting dynamic. You know, here's the other thing. Let's put in a, this, this scene here into context. We also know that Yoda and Obi-Wan, now if, you, if you're thinking about in Star Wars Rebels, mm -hmm. Yoda and Obi-Wan both know that somewhere out there is Ezra Bridger. Somewhere right. out there is Ahsoka Tano. Mm -hmm. So, no, there is another. Yeah, it could be Leia, but there's also, you know... They've, they've got some other options out there. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting, and that, that's actually what I was thinking as I was watching Rebels, is there were, you know, because we never get to see Ezra and uh, Thrawn in the, in, this, in the original trilogy. And the way that they found to explain that was, I thought, brilliant, which was they weren't anywhere near the middle you know, of the, the Galactic Rebellion beyond the finale. 
they just ended up in an uncharted part of space and after the wars when Sabine and uh, Ahsoka go to find him. Because that explains, okay, well, how come you didn't see Ezra, who was a kind of sort of properly trained Jedi uh, in this trilogy? Well, that's why. That's why Luke is the only option. I will say, by the way, now that we're seeing Han and Leia being, I said, you know, they relax. You see Han give Leia a kiss on the forehead. Mm. I don't necessarily like that Han and Leia interaction when they when they start getting all, you know, you, you like the bickering. You like the, you know, it, 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 you like the couple who flips each other crap. You know what mm. I mean? But I, but I also think it's a, it's a sign of their dynamic that they're, and it's an interesting, they're com- they seem more comfortable bickering. So all of a sudden, not being in the middle of you know, arguing with one another uh, kind of seems almost you know, kind of surprising because you're expecting that from them. Like even like right now when when uh, Han says that uh, Lando's going to have people that can fix 3PO and she's like, no thanks, you know, you get a little bit of that back. By the yeah. way, do you think do you think uh, one of the Ugnaughts is Queel? <laughs> Probably not. They, well, they he, seem very animalistic compared to Queel. <laughs> but he said he said that he, uh, you know, was in servitude to the Empire, and oh, wow. you know, yeah. the Empire basically takes over Cloud City after this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would guess not, but uh, because the Ugnaughts have changed uh, a little bit from that their uh, representation here. And he hasn't he hadn't he hadn't spoken then, so poor Lee's not here. I will say this scene coming up with the uh, the surprise in the dining room. I didn't see as a kid. I remembered I didn't see that coming at all. But I also remember it stuck with me so much that that was the scene that I tried to recreate all the time with my action figures. Did you ever read the original Marvel comic books uh, for Star Wars? For Star Wars, I did. Okay, so you remember there's actually, I remember this vividly, one of the comic books has the dinner scene. Like, you know, like after they get captured here, the door closes. And actually, one of the comic books actually has them having their dinner around that table. I, and I, I, and I, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was always interesting to me that, that they actually put that in there. There was something here. Um, oh, Darth Vader sarcastically inviting Han to dinner is the only time in any of the Star Wars movies that Vader speaks directly to Han. However, James Earl Jones, who voiced Vader, and Harrison Ford would directly interact in several scenes in Clear and Present Danger and Patriot Games. Uh, But uh, I always loved Robot Chicken's take on this after, (laughs) you know, when the doors close and, you know, Boba Fett's flipping crap to Han and, you know, Vader's trying to drink, you know. (laughs) <laughs> uh, did you hear the Spurs? No, I don't have sound on. Okay, so. you're gonna have to go oh, back. you're going to have to go back. You're going to have to watch it. Yeah, the Spurs are there, sir. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've always loved that scene, too. Um, and it just really kind of speaks to you, that gunslinger mentality of Han Solo where he comes out firing um, and Vader just easily parrying it because he's just so much more powerful. Um yeah, well, it, and we've yeah, never seen anything. We've never seen anything like that when you when Vader's blocking laser blasts. I remember just going, "What? Whoa! That really?" So, Vader yeah, had 
I mean, Vader had obviously dueled Obi-Wan, and he had spent some time around Leia, but he had never spent any time around Luke or Han, uh, really. And so that was, that was, that was just a, something else. That was a great Hamlet moment there with oh, Chewie holding three people's yeah. head. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, it's one of the most understated moments in any of the movies and it just it speaks so much to Chewbacca's character again they they've made him yeah. you know even just showing the caring nature of of that character and the tragedy that that they're all experiencing yeah um he's like this is my friend i knew that this was my friend i knew yeah. who he made he uh, made me laugh yeah yeah and uh and yet you know, here we are in the, now we're in the deep end. By the way, an interesting little stormtrooper tidbit. Um, in A New Hope, the stormtroopers' frowns are gray, and starting in The Empire Strikes Back, they are black. So that's how you know if you see somebody in the 501st, you'll know if they're a New Hope uh, a stormtrooper or if they are a Empire Strikes Back. For Jedi Stormtrooper because of the frown. Did it bother you that they put Tamora Morrison's voice in? No. Made sense. Made sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you know, once they made the, the decision to link all six movies together, you kind of had to. I mean, once you put in here McDermott and, you know, you're making all this stuff kind of trying to fit together into one, you kind of sort of have to. Um, so, and it's again, it's it's a small role. We, I think, the fan base makes a bigger deal of Boba Fett than the movie ever does. He's a bounty hunter. He's the one who's captured them. He's gonna get paid. He's gonna he's gonna take a Han to Jabba. That's it. That's the extent of his role. You know, we want to see uh, Han get some comeuppance in uh, Return of the Jedi, and we do. But beyond that, that's the extent of his service to the to the story. I think the fans built him up to be bigger and bigger and bigger. Thus, we get everything from, you know, action figures to the Mandalorian. I feel terrible. <laughs> it's, it's just some great Han Solo lines. Um, By the way, it's interesting that they don't ask him anything. You know, they've captured the leadership of the Rebellion, you know, Princess Leia. They've captured Han Solo and... They're not interested in asking anything. They're just tools to get Luke. Yeah. They're going to cause him enough pain so that Luke can feel it through the force and come running. You know, it is a missed opportunity. Like, if you think about it in those terms, like, he could have tried to mine them for some information while he had them. Right. Because you got to know they're going to try to reconnect with uh, what's left of the Rebel Alliance who's flown out from Hoth. And, well, uh, but no, not interested in any of that. But what, but what Palpatine and Vader are afraid of is that you know Palpatine sees that Luke can destroy them. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the ultimate fear of the Sith is dying. You know, of of you know the ultimate fear. That's why Palpatine clones himself a gazillion times. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 ultimate fear is dying. You know, the Jedi don't fear death because they know that they're going to become part of the Force and. Um, so the, uh, you know, all the other things, you know, as far as running the empire or, you know, defeating the rebels, 
that's secondary to right. crap. We we got this guy who can destroy us, and you right. don't you don't get that context when you're seven years old. You know, watching Empire Strikes Back, you get it if you've seen episodes one, two, and three, and watch the Clone Wars. You know, so again, I think it's come back to it. Where you know, if you look at it in that greater context of everything, you know, right. that that kind of what seems to be a plot hole makes sense now. No, 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 absolutely no, and it's it's something you said the whole you know because that's part of the arc of Anakin Skywalker. It's that whole death denial. It's his, his desire to prevent those he loves from dying. You know, he wants that power. That's that's the carrot that Palpatine, you know, hangs above Anakin's head in Episode Three. That he knows that's how he can get him, and sure enough, that's the one thing because he can't do without his mom. He loses his mom. He can't do without Padme. And the idea of all of a sudden losing her—it's what leads him to fall, and actually losing her. You know, tragic. By the way, I liked what. Uh, um... I think it was Bryce Dallas Howard said on the latest Disney gallery, they said mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy told her that every star Wars character has a silhouette. So I think about this scene right here in the, in the chamber in the, in the cloud city, you know, the carbon freezing chamber I mean, everybody's a shadow and, but mm-hmm. you know who it is, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's Boba Fett, you know, it's Darth Vader, you know, it's Leia, you know, it, it's really interesting when you think about that way, you can, mm-hmm. Because they're talking about that with Cara Dune, you know, you see, you know, she's backlit. You see this silhouette, you know, that it's them. They're so, like, such distinctive I, characters. And then in a couple minutes, when you see Luke and Vader face off, um, and you see their silhouettes, and, yeah, and Luke kind of strikes his Peter Pan pose. <laughs> By the way, why do you, why do you think uh, why do you think Vader stopped uh, Boba Fett from shooting Chewbacca? And don't Pretty give me the retcon of he does he. Built C3PO. <laughs> I mean, that's a funny joke. But why? Why do you think in 1980 they made the decision? You know, no, don't. He uh, Vader stops Boba Fett from killing Chewbacca. I think. Well, I mean, it's an interesting idea to consider. But I you know I've just, you know, I just thought uh, at the time. Okay, no, he doesn't want them dead because he may want them for other reasons. Remember, he's going to tell Lando to take them on. You know, put him on a shuttle to send to the Star Destroyer. So he clearly has other plan, you know, plans in mind for Chewie and for Leia that go beyond this moment. Yeah, I think it answers our question about why he didn't ask Han Solo any questions. Because, mm-hmm. like, he's going to take them with him here and uh, ask them questions at his leisure later on. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we skipped, kind of skipped the line. That <laughs> The most romantic line in Star Wars history. Yeah, we just three, like three right by it. Yep, three du- three dudes watching Empire Strikes Back. We skipped all the romance. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love you. I know. I will say, however, the music in this scene is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the lighting. The there was lighting. a book that came out, um, and I just found out about this recently. I can't remember if it was something we talked about, but it was. It's kind of a. Um, a behind-the-scenes look at Empire Strikes Back. Um, this book hadn't come out recently. I mean, it's an older book, but I just found out about it recently. Um, and they have it, like, verbatim, the conversations that were going on between Kirshner and Han Solo, or Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. um, about what that line should be during this scene. Uh, it was really interesting to see, because, like, I'd always heard the interviews about 
kind of how that came together and it it varied a little bit mm-hmm. this transcript it varied a little bit so i just i didn't know if you guys had heard anything about that or seen that i've only no. seen the the most recent i think it was whatever there was some documentary that came out not too long ago um and Kirshner was saying they'd gone through a bunch of different renditions and he finally said harrison just go whatever you, whatever whatever you say is you know just just whatever comes to your mind say it and then he said i know and he was like it was perfect so <laughs> i don't know you know i love you i love you too does not work in that between those two after well, and it doesn't work for the relationship right now you know they they yeah. finally, they finally yeah. come into that moment but they you know well and by, Han, yeah. and by saying i know it says a lot about the han solo character who has been pretty much just about himself mm-hmm. um and you know leia's yeah she's saying i love you personally i leia love you han but it's also saying that you know han you you have people who love you and mm-hmm. Han is recognizing that, and that he's sacrificing himself for a greater cause, um, you know. So I think I think that's pretty powerful. Um, the um, you know then of course I want to say I, I the way they turn some of these things on their head in the solo movie when he says to Lando I hate you or Lando says I hate you and he says I know or go to the rise of Skywalker and you know when. Kylo or Ben says, dad, and Han Solo says, I know. Yeah. That was just, I was like, oh, that was just a great moment in that movie. So, mm-hmm. by the way, the Imperial officer holding Leia there is the guy who played Boba Fett, Jeremy Bullock. Just so you know. I'm a couple seconds well, behind you guys. Well, no, 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 I'll see it right now. It's a good, it's a good way to get, get his face on screen because otherwise you're not going to see him. It's a trap. Oh, yeah. It's a trap. And Luke doesn't listen. <laughs> it's a trap. Don't do this. Oh, okay, I'm going to go after you. It's like, he's, he is kind of the, he is kind of a clumsy hero. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and again, it's the idea of he hasn't gone through his complete training. He doesn't really know the extent of everything. Uh, or R2. Yeah, he's slowly being led down the path by his masters because He's got tremendous power, but he doesn't really know how to use it. So it's an interesting dynamic that he's, that you got with Luke because he is that ultimate Joseph Campbell hero, but he's very much, he's not cognizant of it whatsoever. So he's not in a position to impact stuff. He can only react. It's not until Return of the Jedi, I think, that we finally see him kind of take leadership and ownership of where his path is or goes. And here we go again. I have not, I've just never really paid attention to just how aesthetically, I mean, just, well, just the lighting is dark mm-hmm. in this whole movie. Yeah, no, particularly right here. I mean, this is all this, uh, made to denote like the eighth circle of hell, you know, with all the reds and the shadows and the smoke. Sure. This is not designed, this is designed to be menacing and dangerous. And it's the perfect environment where you would find Darth Vader. You're not going to find somebody uh, warm and cuddly here. I also find it interesting that Vader is fighting one-handed mm-hmm. after, you know, 
you know, in a new hope, it was two handed, two hands on the saber, you know, and he's, he's toying with Luke through this whole Mm -hmm. thing. Because again, it's the idea of he wanted to kill Obi-Wan. He doesn't want to kill Luke, but he knows he's got to go through the motions with him, tire him out, get him on the carbon freeze chamber. And then boom, there you go. By the way, back up a couple minutes and Lando had the very first Apple watch. <laughs> to wake up uh, Lobot. And Boy, yeah. is it just me or does Chewie take a long time in choking uh, Lando? Yeah, uh, he, he probably could have ended him in like 10 seconds. I think he was, I think he wanted, he was going to make him suffer. Okay. You know, it wasn't going to be a quick death because he could have, could have ripped his arms out of the socket. We all know that, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, he allowed his friend to be tortured. So it's like, all right, comes around, goes around. Don't start none. Won't be none. You know, mm-hmm. we're about to see the ice uh, maker uh, guy. Oh yeah. Uh, Wolverine hood. I think it is. Yeah. The, the ice cream maker dude. <laughs> well, oh, I wonder, my. Go ahead. Has Fredo. Any, now I was going to say, has anybody ever asked, did anybody ever ask uh, Peter Mayhew what it was like running with, that three PO backpack on him. Oh God, All I don't know. Scenes. It's probably what probably what killed his knees. Yeah, apart from being seven feet tall. But. I mean, because you got to figure. I mean, he's you know you've, he's carrying all that for all these scenes from the moment they walk into the carbon freeze chamber till uh, they get back onto Melian Falcon. That's going to be at least a good eight to ten days of shooting. And, and by the way, hasn't anybody learned that? The, if there's going to be one person you're going or one character you're going to listen to, it's going to be R2-D2. He's always got the right answer, and he's telling mm-hmm. them, hey, Falcon's not fixed, and everybody's just poo-pooing him. Man. But uh, uh, also, uh, Robot Chicken always had a, a good had a good interaction. It's like Slave One was the most uh, inappropriately named uh, ship, probably. Uh, but... Okay, uh, and here we go. I always love this jump from Darth Vader. When he's jumping at the screen. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's only because the only thing, I mean, he doesn't really jump too many times in the whole, I think this might be the one time. I think so. Jump. Which I remember when, because uh, when I was playing uh, Jedi Fallen Order, there's a scene, you know, spoiler alert for that game, when the climax, when he shows up, and uh, he jumps down. And everybody, and I remember seeing somebody kind of reacting to it, and kind of like, "Wow, oh, I can't believe you jumped! I didn't know you could do that." It's like, yeah, we saw him jump once. All right, so let's let's talk about people who get all butt hurt about new force powers, and let's think about all the new force powers we've seen in this movie. We have seen Luke grab a lightsaber um, using his mind. We've seen the super jump. Um, what other force powers have we seen? Uh, I guess. Uh, Fredo just died. Oh. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, uh, being able to see into the future. Being able to see into the future. Um, you know, there's. So all of a sudden, we get, you know, when Force Lightning comes in Return of the Jedi, people start going, oh, what? Now we got Force Lightning? And then Ray discovers something new. She can heal somebody. Oh, what? Now we can heal somebody? It's like, do you think there are only like five Force powers or something? And that's like, the number, the number that you shall count is three. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, 
it, it's, Star Wars fans drive me crazy sometimes. I don't know. But that's, again, and it's part of the idea that I was saying about Empire expanding the universe. It's that we're going to get more information. We're going to get new types of characters. We're going to get new elements. So the idea of getting new force powers, well, of course, it always make perfect sense. You're expanding your knowledge of a thing. Therefore, we're going to get to hear and know more of it. So it always made sense that we're going to pick up a new Jedi power here or there, you know, in these movies. Uh, but, you know, so the, so the concept of, oh, my God, I can't believe we have never introduced force uh, projections like we saw in Last Jedi, or force heal like we saw in Rise of Skywalker. And you're like, the force is whatever the, the writer director wants it to be. It's the ultimate Deus Ex Machina. Whatever they need the, the force to do in this movie, they can do uh, by the way, you know, Force Awakens, we were supposed to get more of a Bespin flashback. Uh, Vader Vader and Luke dueling flash, flashback instead of just Rey, you know, in her Force vision, you know, instead of just going down the hall and then stumbling into the Knights of Ren, it was, you were going to see Luke and Vader fighting. Um, wonder why they I fell it. robbed. Yeah, I wonder why they cut that. You know, one thing I'll say about this movie, um, it's it's one of, I mean, for us, all three of us, it's one of the best, right? But mm -hmm. I was like, if you want to critique it, right? I, it it it's required. This is there's kind of like no looking back at this point because like with a new hope, you can watch that movie beginning to end and say, I'm good. I just watched Star Wars. Um. From this point forward, it's serialized, and you're you're in. You're either in or you're out, pretty much. Um, and I, you know, that's that's a. It's less accessible in a way than a New Hope is. Um, it's also probably a little less subversive. Mm -hmm. um, Here we go. By the way, sorry, real quick. Here comes yeah. our maker guy. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> And my favorite, and my favorite musical moment uh, in the saga, as we released, as we uh, noted on our musical episode. Now I was going to say uh, I I agree with you, Dave, but I also think it's it's also a continue. I mean, it, this is the first, you know, in a way, movie of the saga that kind of lives up to the whole Flash Gordon serialized idea, because that's what mm -hmm. these movies are supposed to be. They're supposed to be the Flash Gordon serials where you have to come back every week to see the next exciting adventure. And whereas I think A New Hope took that ethos, but it was very self-contained. Like you mm -hmm. watch A New Hope, you never watch anything again. You're done. You're good. This one is one where like, okay, no, no, you got to come back to the movie theaters in three years time to see the next exciting chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people hated the ending. Yeah, um, which, I, which I understand why. I mean, you're like, we don't get a resolution. You know, but here's here's the thing, though. I will say this: uh, as a kid, seven again, seven years old, mm -hmm. I, well, I remember that time in between. And I, do you guys remember Dynamite magazine? Was that in your school library at all? Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was, it was just sort of, yeah. I remember they had, there was a an issue that was in our school library, and on the cover was Darth Vader, and it said Star Wars three is Darth Vader really Luke Skywalker's father? And I, I remember just those couple of years, it, you know, it really started the, oh, do you, do you think this is possible or no? It could, you know, mm -hmm. it really, it, 
it was I, as, as a kid, I had no problem with it, you know, um, and it, it really made things exciting. So here we go, the last part of the duel, and now see now now Vader's using two hands. Yeah, he's and he yep he's not to, he's not toying anymore. He's starting no, no, to no. want butt, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's gonna finish this sucker right here right now. Uh, but no, I think uh, yeah, it's interesting because we, I mean, we kind of live in a golden age, so to speak, where up until last year we were getting a movie every year, and uh, I know some people question whether that was too much, but even when we're getting the prequels, where it's like, okay, you're gonna get one every three years. It felt fine. I mean, you, you knew you were going to get a new one. You knew you were going to get a continuation. But I always love the idea that this movie leaves so many loose threads. So it does lead to what's going to happen next. By the way, no, I was going to say I, just what's going on here. I One thing that always did confuse me and mm -hmm. is kind of like when a, when a lightsaber can kill you or when a blaster can kill you or cause serious harm and when it can't. And Luke hitting Vader in the shoulder and it just makes him go, ow. Mm -hmm. But then well, Vader lops off his you know wrist. Sure, there's some armor there, but uh, I, you know it's just kind of interesting when a lightsaber can do damage and when it can't. I was figuring, you know, well, not, not always, but I figure after seeing Clone Wars, he was wearing some of that clone armor, the good armor. That's got to be some, yeah, some pretty epic armor. Of course, the, uh, you know, the story behind here, maybe people listening don't know this story, but the line that was delivered by David Prowse on set was, um, Obi-Wan killed your father. Right. And it was only at the last, and that's those are the lines that Mark Hamill had in his script. And then at the last moment, Irvin Kirshner pulled him aside and said, here's what the line's actually going to be. And it was, I'm so talk about a tightly held seat. If the internet had existed, you know, like it did in 1980, 1979, that, that wouldn't have happened. It's kind of like that's, that's baby Yoda, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hiding baby Yoda from us was, I can't believe they did it. They wouldn't have been able to keep yeah. this one under wraps. So well, uh, yeah, I remember well, seeing hey, only only three people knew, or four, or, or whatever. Four. I mean, yeah. By the I way, mean, I, will, I will say one of the worst uh, special edition uh, ads was right here when they made Luke scream as they he put, fell. But it wasn't his scream. No, it was Palpatine. It was Emperor from Jedi, which made it even worse. It's like, first of all, he made him screen. I always thought it was awesome that he didn't because it was, again, it was he selfless. He did it on purpose. Right. Yeah. It was selfless. And then to make him scream, it's like, an, oh, crap, what did I do? You know. But then to use <laughs> Palpatine scream, that's lazy. That was you know, very lazy. ILM, that was lazy. So, uh, But no, actually, going back to that point, because uh, I saw a couple of interviews that Mark did around Last Jedi, and he said, yeah, basically, Irwin Kirchner pulls him aside and goes, George knows, I know, uh, Laurie Kasdan knows, when I tell you, you'll know, but if it gets out, we'll know who said. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so for the whole year, and then I think uh, James Earl Jones, because he had to read the line, was the fifth person who knew. So up until release day, that was it in terms of knowing this secret. And, uh, being cognizant of it and being aware of what it would mean for everybody's expectations for the movie. And just, yeah, it's amazing that they kind of kept this under wraps for so long. And that I, I actually left because then he later on goes to say, 
at the movie premiere. He's sitting next to Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford looks at him and goes, hey, kid, uh, you're, you're not really effing, you know, not joking with me or, you know, you're not screwing around with me here, are you? This is for real? And apparently what everyone could have told him to play like it, it's real. So, How many of us, by the way, sorry, how many of us... Uh... How many of us put uh, you know Leia in the force sensitive category? I mean, it's clear as a mm-hmm. bell. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I didn't think, oh yeah, Leia has the force. Maybe that was just my you know, you know, male dominated, sexist, you know, nineteen eighties, you know, whatever, right. um, you know. But I never put two and two together that you know. You know, sure, there was a connection. Maybe Luke reached to Leia somehow, but you know, there has to be—you got to have somebody pick up the phone on the other end. They can't just be, you know, you know what I mean. I, I think a lot of people sell that moment there short, or just kind mm-hmm. of breeze by it. That, hey, listen, folks, don't be shocked in Return of the Jedi when you know she knows that she's, you know, got this power. You know. Uh, Anyway. Right. No, and uh, what, I think what's interesting, you know, I was going to say, it's interesting because we, cause we totally blow past it. It's like, why would we be contacting Leia? Okay. I mean, it makes sense because you're like, okay, well, it's not contacting Han, it could be Leia, but it's a good way to kind of introduce the idea of Leia being force sensitive, of having a connection to the force that uh, it's unsaid. I agree. By the way, also, she's on the pilot seat. She's good enough to fly the Millennium Falcon again. And just didn't raise no eyebrows. Nobody had a problem with it. Everybody just accepted it as fact. Mary Sue, Mary Sue, Mary Sue. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, that didn't exist in 1980. But it's interesting. I mean, again, it's all this stuff that's always been in there, but we don't, we, we kind of just accepted it as fact because that was the way it was. And all I can think of, by the way, kind of go back right quick when with the I'm your father moment uh I remember vividly the whole theater gasping like the whole air just got sucked out of that moment because everybody's like what you know I kind of in the special edition I kind of like this edition of the of Vader shuttle landing in the Star Destroyer I, I think it's kind of a nice breakup in the continuity um it works you know and it's like I it always was kind of awkward. It's like how, how he's he's on the Star Destroyer now, but uh, I just thought I thought they did well with that. After I just yelled at ILM for the scream, I thought they did the whole shuttle thing pretty well. You don't mind that they took up bring my ship because they actually had it's like alert my Star Destroyer. Yeah, alert my Star Destroyer for my arrival. Yeah, eh, that was kind of a clumsy line, but I just thought you know just the addition of that, yeah. I love this, um, the engine sound that it makes, the hyperdrive makes when it doesn't engage. I, lo- I love the look thing. between yeah. Chewie and Leia there. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, you the hyperdrive talk. failing sound, yeah. I loved hearing that again in Solo. Mm. That was such a wonderful callback, and I got such a big laugh. I think the whole theater got a big laugh out of that moment because it just comes out of left field. And you're like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, of course. Well, and, and coming up here was is one of the just they could have they, it was a great decision. They could have just had left Vader just staring out the window when you know the the Falcon finally goes into hyperspace. 
but the double take that he does. Mm. He's looking out the window. He looks back over his shoulder. He looks back out the window. And it's like, I'm a clunky. You know, he just said, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, but again, look, here, Leia's flying the Falcon. And I have Solid. under underrated favorite moment in here is when uh, Chewie gets frustrated and just hits the Falcon with that tool that he's yeah. using. He's just like, oh, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, I think we all know what, you know, G dang it is in Wookiee now or in Shri Wook. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right there. Yeah, that was good. And it's such a relief, isn't it? Like, I know we talk about this, and we've talked about how for some people this ending is so unsatisfying, but they really wring a lot of tension out of these moments. And for them to get away, it's... But their strategy makes no sense. Why are you flying so close to the Star Destroyer? I think it's because <laughs> the, the Millennium Falcon, the, the TIE Fighters are kind of shepherding them that way yeah okay fair enough fair enough they, they're trying uh, they're trying to guide him to line up for the tractor beam uh no i love this i love that little moment where kind of luke just sinks into the seat because it's almost like uh that element of you know he thought he was cool he left home to go on a hero's journey and instead it's he went and found the worst spot the worst this is in heaven this sucks <laughs> exactly you know, it's like all the kids who go to war thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to go be a great hero. And no, it's, this is going to leave scars. Here there go. we go. Here comes the double take. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, well. What? Uh, I should kill you. Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> oh, dang it. And then, of course, you got when he leaves the deck, the guard uh, who's looking at his, his data pad and then looks over yeah. his shoulder. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap. Okay, I'm alive. So, you know, I, I thought this was kind of a fun thing to do, you know, um, to, to 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. I, man, I, a lot of things still just really stand up. Storytelling is great. The cinematography is great. You know, the, the effects, the effects, you know, are really strong. Um, except for Lando's wearing Han's clothes. <laughs> I love the fact there was a meme that was going around. It's like, like Lando just button up the top buttons on the shirt uh, to get a medal, and then here's Lando wearing his clothes. So I didn't, I didn't really, did, that didn't sink in on me until now. Recently, I was like, yeah, that's right. He's wearing Lando, I mean, Hans' clothes. The heck? Man, who's who's having the cops called on him? Man. Uh, Welcome to Uptown New Orleans. Um, no, I, like, this moment at the end, the, the part that I found sort of puzzling was uh, it didn't match up with the beginning of Jedi because you've got Han, well, you've got you've got Lando and, and Chewie going off on this mission, and then I guess they separated at some point, <laughs> and it was just Lando, but, you know, it was always sort of weird for me. That's why it's not it's not canon, but I would recommend reading Shadows of the Empire um, because they do a good. It's kind of a, a fun story of explaining that gap. Um, Cause, cause and I, I have I have the book here. If either one of you want to borrow it, 
but it's a, it is just like I said, kind of a fun story that 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 question gets answered really kind of nicely. So yeah, because it's interesting because we, I mean, that's one of those things that we almost took for granted for the sequels. There's gaps between the movies. There's a gap between A New Hope and this, and there's a gap between this movie and Jedi. And you know, you're able to put stuff like Shadows of the Empire to kind of fill it in, uh, you know, with the adventures and all of the other stuff. Because if the idea is, okay, uh, Boba Fett's bringing Han back to uh, Java, well, where's Java? Oh, he lives on Tatooine. You know, so it's that, uh, you know, it, there you go, that's all you needed to do. But it's this other stuff that's happening. So as we close out. So any, any final thoughts about? Empire. It still remains my favorite. I think. <laughs> way to way to t way to be committed there, Fredo. No, 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 no. <laughs> it, it is, it is. It is. I, I just uh, it, it's such a well done movie, and I think so much of it is because it takes the, it makes the bold decision to not repeat what made the New Hope great, but to kind of do something new. It would, would be easy just to go. Okay, we'll give you Star Wars too. They didn't. I would. I would say. I think one of the things that makes it as strong is that they actually got a decent director, not somebody to be a director, but a decent director. George Lucas. I've said it before. George Lucas is a great storyteller, and he's got a great imagination. He's got great. He's wonderful, but as a director of actors, he's not good. Um, as a director of a movie, he's, I mean, he has a vision, but the, you know, the technical aspect of a director, I don't think he's a very good director. JJ Abrams is a sure a good director, but he's, you know, he's kind of the Stephen King of directors. You know, he's formulaic, right? But Urban Kirshner was, was really, you know, I, I think Ryan Johnson is the only one who is really actually, you know, even that kind of ranks up there with getting more out of the the actors and of telling an interesting story. So how do you like that? I've said good things about uh, the Last Jedi, Dave. Oh, you I you're not a Last Jedi hater at no. all. Yeah. So I, you know, for me, this movie is it's I I kind of go back loop back to what Fredo was saying, which is just like it's such a departure from the first movie. Um, and and that was a good thing. It, it had to be in that way, or else, like you said, if you tried to make Star Wars two, Electric Boogaloo, um, everybody's just gonna. I think this series doesn't become what it becomes. Yeah. And I um, I have nits to pick with this movie, as I do with all of them. I don't think any of the any of the films are above critic criticism but um and the end of the day I'm, I'm i'm so glad that it took the direction that it did and i'm very thankful for it um and and you know obviously we talk about star wars being this cultural touchstone um this movie kept that up <laughs> um i you know just the twist at the end was enough to when we talk about this becoming more episodic in nature and more serialized and the twist at the end oh my gosh did you guys see what happened and where are they going to take it next 
um, and it became kind of an obsession for people. I mean, it already was, but they made themselves relevant going forward with this movie. And, you know, it. there were a lot of very smart people involved in making it happen. Well, hey, cool. Well, thanks for hanging with us this uh, little longer episode, but uh, it was it was a good direction. It was, uh, it was fun, good conversation. But until then, we'll just say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And uh, so take her easy. My monkey.